0: Welcome back to DTCX, exceptional e-commerce. Joining me is Justin Grace. He is the head of retail planning and merchandising. I'm sure I screwed that screwed that up over at Suma Brands, and they take brands and grow them into household names on Amazon. Prior to this, Justin spent 15 years over on the merchandising team over at Pure One. We're going to be talking a little bit about navigating supply chains in these crazy times and how that can impact your merchandising online and offline. Justin, welcome to the pod. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So let's start with what you're up to now over at Suma Brands, and then we'll dive into how some of that that experience during your your tenure at Pier One has led you to go from the more offline to the more online world of things. And I'd love to just chat about some of the similarities between between both, because a lot of times I think they can feel so different, but really they are quite similar at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, retail's retail, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I joined Suma, SUMA brands about probably about six months ago and mm-hmm. SUMA acquires FBA brands from sellers and we take ownership of those and we operate those and with obviously the goal of, of expanding those within the Amazon space but also outside of that where there's like brand opportunities to to go off Amazon and become a household name. So we have a lot mm-hmm. of of people at at suma that are passionate about products and customers and building brands which is one of the reasons why i was super excited to to join the team prior to that go ahead
0: i was just going to say the first brand that comes to mind and i'm sure we'll we'll talk about others is a a brand like anchor that got its start on amazon and then really did become a brand so anchor makes battery packs and chargers and they started as as a standard amazon product people looking for battery charger and, and turned it into a brand another in in Best Buy and and everywhere, which is I think just a really interesting case study of building a brand starting on on Amazon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Another one of my favorites actually is called M Design, and they do like storage for the home. And one of my former former bosses is, is running that company now, and, and that's another great example of. I mean, they were became huge on Amazon, and then they still have an, a big presence on Amazon, but developed relationships with customers through that growth and have now become focused on more than one channel so it's, it's a great place to start on amazon and then you can use that as a platform to really spring forward in your other channels
0: mm-hmm. absolutely and i'd love to talk about your experience with peer one and then how that really has led us into some of the things that we can talk about today because i think it's it's hard for a lot of Brands navigating supply chains, let alone when you had to do it with without th- tens of thousands of SKUs, probably hundreds of thousands over over the years, and tens of millions, if not closer to a billion billions of of inventory moving through through all the Pure One stores. So I'd love to just turn it over to you. I'll stop talking now and hear your journey and some of the lessons that you've learned along the way.
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, there's a lot of lessons. So you know, for your listeners that don't know, Pure One was a was a home brand that was in business for close to sixty years and went through chapter 11 at the early part of COVID and then ended up having to go through bankruptcy. And part of the story of that brand, certainly over the last five or so years of that brand was the emergence of competition, both on the brick and mortar side, but also on the digital side from Amazon, from wayfarers of the world that really were able to meet the needs of customers as well or better than peer one from a value perspective. And, you know, Pair One just wasn't able to position itself from a value perspective, whether it's the price of the goods, the uniqueness of the goods, the way that they're presented, both from a brick and mortar experience and also a, a digital experience. You know, the competition just catches up with you. And it happened really fast. And despite efforts to, you know, try to right size that uh, near the end of the, that company's tenure, uh, things just didn't work out. And I think a lot of that goes back to, you know, you see a lot of, some retailers are ahead of the game certainly on the omni channel side of like making sure that they engage with customers in an omni channel way to to be consistent across all the different ways that the customer experiences that brand the ones that have resources like you know a target for example that have the resources and the foresight to invest in that are positioning themselves to continue to grow and if you're in catch up mode and you're a big company and you're tied into like legacy systems and processes it's it's harder to change so Today, it's really important, especially for companies that have a, a physical presence and a digital presence to continue to push, you know, not stay satisfied. Obviously, stay abreast of your competition, but also like look forward to see how you can be different. And that's something that we just didn't do well enough at the end. Um, and then we made a few mistakes along the way and cash is king. We ran out of cash mm-hmm. and that's a lot of companies out there can can uh, attest to the, to the cash crunch and that really being a killer.
0: Yeah. And it's hard and it's Especially with supply chains, if your cash is tied up in inventory and it's being delayed and you have nothing to, to sell on your in your warehouse or on your floors, you get into to really a death spiral of how are you going to pay for that inventory that you haven't received yet uh, and trying to climb back up and, and be in that catch-up mode. You mentioned the legacy systems, which I think is really interesting because I always uh, imagine a lot of bigger companies running on bloated software and just tons of stuff where you see an up-and-coming lean brand doing the same thing, not not quite through a Google sheet, but through maybe an Airtable, their Shopify store, their their Clavio ESP, their gorgeous help desk, and everything that they're going on there. How do you say, how big of a competitive advantage is having a strong tech stack for an up-and-coming brand?
1: The advantage comes from starting with a clean slate. When you're building your tech stack and you don't have to worry about what was there before and layering onto that and connecting to it and having these months-long processes to you know integrate a new solution. The legacy systems from older brands really really do tie down their ability to, to integrate newer software rapidly unless they have a really robust team in place. It's interesting when I when I stopped working at Pier one and started doing a little you know consulting on the side, but then more so with, with SUMA. I got I got a lot of exposure to some of the, the software that you're talking about. I'm like, wow, these are some great solutions. I wish we had these at my former company. Airtable is a great example of just like, you know, really simple, easy, intuitive project management and sharing of information. That was just, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff didn't come easy for us as a, at a bigger company as it does some of these smaller companies that can just really plug and play. And we'll it's the same way, right? We're starting with a blank slate. What are the systems that meet our needs, that allow us to be nimble, And we're in a position to build that out versus, you know, having to work with something that's been in place for 20 years.
0: Mm. I can imagine too, just, it it sounds so, so obvious, but being stuck in these legacy systems and processes that got you here, it's not a situation I would love to make some some hard decisions in because I feel like there's always going to be some sort of collateral damage where it's not, it's not perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and that that collateral damage could be things in place that that you start to lose visibility to. It could be people, obviously, like people mm-hmm. that were keeping those things going that don't have the skills, updated skills with newer software solutions. So yeah, but, or but, you
0: can't find people in to replace them and, and work on these legacy systems. You always hear yeah, about how the bank yeah. six people who can fix the code at the bank because it's this legacy <laughs> system from 1979, and that's right. Yeah. Day, sure, it's two thousand bucks an hour to get me in to fix it because I know that you'll be you'll be down if I don't. And it, it's hard to get people who, who know this stuff. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So I'd love to get into more, more of the nitty gritty of merchandise planning and really talking about supply chain right now, costs it feels like are constantly going up. The cost of a container is up 20-fold since 2015 or whatever the stat is. Either way, it's not good. And that's not even including higher costs to acquire customers. But let's talk about just some basics of navigating today's supply chain of if you were, were starting a brand or working with some of the brands over at Suma, what do you tend to say everyone should be be doing this or it surprises you when when they haven't done it?
1: That part of, of managing a brand is is a little new to me, but it's been a great experience, you know, onboarding multiple brands and, and seeing how they're structured. And I think like from the onset, like an individual seller, what they don't have that peer one or bigger companies have is, is buying power and the ability to negotiate and whether it's ocean freight or prices with the suppliers. You just don't go in with the level of negotiating power that a bigger company will. will. So you're you're at a, a disadvantage in some respects, although you have a lot of nimbleness to offset some of that. So you're right. Supply chain costs are rising. You know, containers from China to the West Coast are in fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars, and historically they were more like two thousand dollars, something like that. And so it's a combination of things that. For, for smaller businesses that, that really kind of compounds a working capital problem. So you've got longer production lead times at origin, you know, especially if you're coming in from China, getting onto a ship from, from the manufacturer, there's extension and lead times there. The, the actual voyage of vessels overseas isn't really changed that much. It's like two or three weeks. But then when it gets to the West coast, it's sort of a crapshoot. So if you look at like historic from the time something's ready at a warehouse to ready at a warehouse overseas to being delivered, to your warehouse on the state side, that lead time has gone from somewhere around 40 days to a hundred days. That 60 day increase or, or two months worth of increase in lead time is is additional product that you are buying. that's not selling. Mm-hmm. It extends your working capital and it puts a lot of pressure on smaller companies not just from a working capital perspective but also from a forecasting perspective to the extent that smaller companies forecast what their business is going to do the longer out you have to plan and forecast your business the more the harder it is to be accurate so what i found at least initially that there's a few levers that you can control right we can't control the us ports and how 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 they're performing but if you develop a relationship with and find a really good freight forwarder that helping you on the import side and by good relationship, I mean, somebody that you can like pick up the phone and talk to and have conversations that like what's going on with the different ports, what's going on overseas in China? What are your recommendations for us to get stuff
0: here? So they'll, the, A, they pick up the phone and can be reached. You're not waiting three business days for an email reply back. Yeah, that's And right. B, they have some answers when they, they do pick up.
1: Yeah. I mean, they got to have industry insight and most of them do, but some of them don't always offer it freely. And so that there is this component of developing a relationship with them that it does go a long way, especially when you're in a crunch and you need to like figure out a solution and they're really your path to figuring out that solution. Cause very few people come into this being like supply chain experts. You know, most people are passionate about product and marketing it and they rely on other people mm-hmm. to move stuff around the world. So that's a big, that's a big key. And then I'd say second to that, since since there's not a whole lot people can do about moving stuff faster through our port system is that there's opportunities on the supply side, you know, from a sourcing perspective, both from a cost perspective, but also from a production lead time to just try to like chip away at how long it takes to get stuff ordered and made and shipped. And the more you can chip away, it's a week here, it's a week there, the further you can reduce the amount of inventory that you have extended that you're not selling And that in the, in the long run, until things kind of stabilize, Will help you make some better decisions around what to buy, but also uh, help on the on the working capital side too.
0: Um, that's all. It, it sounds so simple, but it's so easy, especially your first time doing something, or if you had the same freight forwarder for two, three years, and you think it's normal to just email, and you're you're missing. Some of those really key insights that that a good strategic partner can can bring. So let's let's shift gears into something a little bit more more fun, which is leveraging your your merchandising strategy for growth. So not just pain avoidance, like it feels like it's been for the last couple of years, because there's still opportunity. What are some of the key things that that I'll call it smart growth, not necessarily high growth, but but smart growth companies are doing when it comes to managing their supply chain.
1: You know, th- there's kind of like the standard ways to grow brands, expand your product categories. You expand your customer base either through selling more of what you own or expanding into other categories that are tertiary to the ones you carry. And then there's, there's the channel side of things where you're selling on Amazon, for example, what are the other channels that you can grow and leverage to grow? And I think the, the answer for e for a, for an individual seller for their path to growth, it, it's, it really is specific to the brand, getting into the details or the analytics around your category, how is it performing? How are you ranking? What are the opportunities within, you know, Amazon US, for example, does that category translate well to the UK or EU? There's some sort of natural ways that you could expand your Amazon growth. And then I do think it really like becoming a brand where like, in my mind, that's, that's more like, when I say becoming a brand, it's like developing a relationship with customers tied to the products that you sell that that have a story behind them. That that becomes more challenging depending on like what type of products you sell. And some categories lend themselves more towards building a brand and a relationship with customers versus others. I mean, and that's but that's where it gets really fun, right? You know, and you can do that on Amazon, but then eventually off Amazon where you have more visibility to customers and mapping that out, like what's the right roadmap for each individual seller, it it really kind of comes down to what category they're in and what makes the most sense for them in terms of going off Amazon.
0: No, that makes sense and it's something that I think is a a great way to leverage Amazon and it's almost a controversial topic for a lot of e-commerce brands of should we be on Amazon, should we not be on Amazon or are we cannibalizing it? But I love using Amazon to test new markets Say you know you're probably doing pretty well in the U.S. You're thinking about the U.K. Why not start on Amazon? See if you can get a few sales there. Use their systems and, and just start to really test the water. And then if it does work, then you found a new channel that you can can hit on. I'd love to also just dig into anything of getting really into your experience merchandising planning. And I know that we we have a few notes to talk about the the data analysis side i just i'm excited to hear what you have to say because it's i i've had a few SKUs. i it's pretty pretty basic with the amount of analytics i've been able to do so i can just imagine digging into tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of of skews there
1: where i think like the value of um of companies like Suma comes in is like when you're when you're developing your own brand and you especially to the extent that you count proliferation becomes an issue to manage. the The way that you access and analyze data becomes really critical, being able to make good decisions. And so, I like my background, most of my background, um, aside from the inventory management piece, has been around understanding product performance from from a category perspective, from a margin perspective, from a customer perspective, from a channel perspective. And there's there's there are tools out there that allow you to report out of Amazon. I wouldn't say that the like a jungle I mean there's Jungle Scout, there's some of the, the big ones that everybody knows about. Yeah,
0: Jungle Scout, Unicorn Smasher. There's there there's a bunch. I think that even Neil Patel may, might have a tool now. There there's a bunch of them that they can pull in that, that rank.
1: Yeah, and what I think is important when you when you look at your product performance, there are a couple of things. One, obviously you want things that you want the air to be going up, right? When you get into complex or broad assortments, you also want to be able to evaluate groups of products that that are part of a similar category, you know, variations that tied up Paranace as an example on Amazon. And you wanna have like a future looking view of what that category is gonna look like for you, right? I mean, the whole the whole premise of, of like merchandise planning is the, the planning piece, right? The future looking, where are you gonna take this brand from a category perspective, from a channel perspective so that you make smart investments in your working capital and you have something to measure against, right? I'm gonna invest in, like you said, I'm gonna invest in a million dollars of inventory in Europe and here's what I expect it to do. And maybe a million dollars is like a big test for some sellers, but but having that foresight to actually plan that in advance and measure yourself against it and like say, what, is, what does success look like? And be able to read it really quick. A lot of that does go back to having quick and easy access to data so that you can analyze it. And um, that's kind of where Everything starts from my perspective. You know, you win today by having really good data-driven decision-making skills and systems that can support processes to do that.
0: That's interesting because it's almost uh, full circle of talking about how legacy systems can <laughs> and processes can can blow you down and weigh you down. That's right. If you're waiting three or four weeks to get to get data to make decisions, that's that's too long, especially if it's your data and you do, you don't know what's selling, you don't know what's moving, you can't make an educated decision based based off of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. What are some other just as we take it home? Some other lessons that you've learned along the way for businesses who are looking to maximize their their cash flow. What are, maybe and maybe it's a mistake that you see a lot of businesses making that could be avoided. Maybe it's an opportunity that you just can't believe that more aren't taking on. What would you say are some of those? One last final lesson for for any of the brands listening.
1: Yeah, I think the 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 one that that jumps out at me, which I, I hinted at, it is. Especially on Amazon, you you develop a brand on Amazon in the U.S. and you know you've got good ratings, you've got good reviews. Taking that concept and leveraging Amazon as a platform, going to Canada as an example or Europe as an example, is it's relatively easy to do. You you do get the benefit of the listings transferring to those other marketplaces, and you know if you're looking to, I'm not going to say turnkey super easy, but it's a relatively simple path to adding you know ten to twenty percent growth without really doing anything from a product perspective. and that's I think a challenge for some of these brands because they get so they get so so bogged down in managing their own business in the u s, which is you know rightly it's 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 not like it's just easy to do. but if you can have put a little bit of time into that or have some resources to help you with that, there's resources out there. you can just Google that. That's, I think a really natural. And consistent way to build on the businesses you've already put in place on Amazon.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's amazingly valuable for for everyone listening. We're we're coming up on time here. Try to keep them under half an hour, which is which is perfect. We know we know people are busy. Justin, where can people find you? Where can they reach out? Where can they learn a little bit more about Suma Brands?
1: Go to our, our website sumabrands.com to learn a little bit more about us, our our team, our leadership teams on there with our profiles, and people can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Justin Grice. You know, feel free to shoot me a note if you have any questions or want to connect and chat. I'm happy to, happy to talk to people.
0: Awesome. Always a pleasure to record with someone who has so much more experience. I know I've got a lot of ideas going through my head. I'm going to go write them down so I don't forget. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast and join us in the DDCX community on Facebook. Hey, hope you enjoyed this Technically Speaking video, part of exceptional e-commerce. There's a few other videos here, here, maybe here, here. I don't know how they set it up. So go click them, watch something, learn something new, maybe prevent a lesson, and make sure you hit the subscribe button.